everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. I'm your host, Paul Casey. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to have my guests here. It's been far too long since they've been on this show, since this show has been recorded at all, really. So uh, before we go any further, guys, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourselves? Hey, everybody. Jake over here. Uh, uh, Hi, my name's Liam. Back again. Glad to have you guys back. Glad we're finally getting to do this episode. I take full responsibility because I've been, uh, I've kind of been putting it off. Kind of had some some personal things going on. I'll, you know, it's not necessarily to talk about here, but we're finally doing it. We're doing this place is death, and this episode is there's a lot of, um, uh, you know like kind of mythology building stuff there's a lot of uh you know flashes on the island where are they in time sort of stuff there's also some some callbacks to uh things that jake and i have talked about there's some kind of hints that we'll give at future discussions and i'm excited i think this is going to be a good one yeah i'd like to point out that i uh am somehow doing another sun and Jin episode i don't really know how that happened (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've done one every season. I didn't even (laughs) think about that. (laughs) Well, maybe that's your thing. Like, Kevin's thing is he he wants to to be the one person who's guested, like, been on an episode with every other guest. So maybe your thing is to do a Sun and and Jin episode every time. We need a Sun and Jin professional. So, I mean, like a... Somebody who just knows the Sun and Jin storyline so well, and I guess we've elected you that guy, Liam. Seems like it, huh? Well, for a while, Andrew thought it was him because oh, he, true, he yeah. was on like two or three of them, and then he accused me of being racist. So, I... <laughs> um, but no, I think this is—I mean, maybe I say it every time, but I think this is a good uh, Sun and Jin episode, and. You know, I've said it before, I'm not necessarily the biggest Sun and Jin fan. They don't bother me uh, like some other characters do. But I know this is the version of Sun that everybody likes because she's very take charge. I mean, we see her waving a gun around in this episode, you know. Not only that, it kind of strays away from the traditional Sun Jin episodes where we've seen, uh, you know, Jin trying to deal with the fact that he's from a poor fishing village and Sun under the you know weight of her father. Like, none of that's here. I mean, this isn't like a traditional, we're seeing flashbacks of pre-island Sun and Jin. Yeah. Yeah, because I think we've, I think that's been talked about and probably talked about with Liam, I guess, since he's on a lot of them. Uh, the fact that most of the the time their story is often not just the two of them but it's her father as well so it's nice that he doesn't appear at all in this and like you said jake it kind of takes a break from that uh we start out off island with sun in her car as her phone rings and she answers in korean it's her mother who puts Ji Yan on the phone and sun mentions having made a new friend for her aaron and that she'll be home soon after hanging up, she gets out of the car and approaches the rest of the off-island characters. This is the last communication anyone has with Ji Yan for the rest of the series. Well, that's just sad. <laughs> yeah, it, it it happens in TV shows where uh, children are plot devices and not characters. Ji Yan was a plot device, it's not a character. Yes. 
Yeah. Very true. Obviously, it can be talked about more in season six, um, and we don't necessarily have to go too much into it here. What do you guys think about Jin cho- not choosing her when the whole uh, uh, yeah. drowning thing? Yeah, a lot of people think that was a very uh, selfish move on their part, and you hear that all the time. They should have thought of the kid. Um, I I think it made, obviously, this is a, a, a drama televised show, so it makes for a great uh, scene having them both you know die at the same time, and I think that tugged at the heartstrings, and that would have been more powerful than one living and one not. Um, if I were... I don't know how to word this, but I'm I'm okay with how it turned out. And I think that's just more because I'm into the mythology and stuff like that. I'm like, and I wasn't always the biggest Sun and Jin fan, so I'm like, they're gone. Good, let's move on. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, I think part of it, and I think the, the writers have said this, is even though, you know, he's her father and everything else, she doesn't know him, and he doesn't know her. Yeah, there wasn't as yeah. much, uh, I guess, uh, emotional. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Jin loved his daughter. And oh, yeah. The thought of having her and stuff like that, too. But you're right. Maybe there just wasn't that same. There wasn't that attachment, that kind of attachment, I should say. Yeah. And, and the way I look at it is, like I said, she's not really a character. She's a plot device. And she wasn't a plot device that was used in the season. If she was like a full-fledged character in season six then maybe i would take more issue with it but you know she wasn't it was just a plot it was it's like a gun that they left in the house you you don't wonder about the gun you just you just focus on the characters so it's yeah yeah yep um kate and ben talk about aaron being or not being kate's son and uh, Sun approaches with her gun and demands for Kate to move away so she can shoot Ben. Kate is worried about Aaron, and Sun mentions having left him in the car, so she runs to check on him. And Sun accuses Ben of having killed Jin, and she and Ben have a back and forth before Ben mentions that Jin is alive and that he can prove it. Now, uh, they mentioned this. It didn't really hit me as I was watching it, but I was reading it in Lostpedia, is that Sun should not know Ben's role in the explosion of the freighter or anything like that. Like, she obviously wasn't down in the Orchid uh, and saw the murder of Kimi or anything like that. Um, And nobody that was down there ended up, you know, making it out, you know, so or or making it off. So uh, Sun shouldn't have known that all happened, that the fact that the, the freighter blew up was because... Uh, Kimi had the device or whatever, and Ben ended up killing him. Like she, I don't know where she really got that. And actually, as Lostpedia says, she knows that the freighter was Widmore's. She should have more issue with Widmore than Ben at this point, but clearly did not have any issue with Widmore. We see her earlier in the season interacting with him just fine. Which I, f- I think we talked about in the season four finale, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I can't recall, but I believe because it was maybe. you. I think it was you, me, Steve, Bill, um, and I think we talked about that. The fact that like she, I mean, she she does interact with Woodmore uh, at the beginning of this season, but she interacts with him um, 
uh, a few times, like briefly in the season four finale when she says we have common interests. Right. And then she uh, she leaves him alone, and that's why he confronts her at the beginning of this season. And I think at that point we kind of questioned that as well. And I would think, maybe I said it then, but I don't know, maybe somebody said it then, but I would think it would just be a thing of um, just because of Ben being who he is, you know, just maybe that he sabotaged Widmore's boat, not necessarily that Widmore would sabotage his own boat, you know, especially if, because she knows that Michael was working for Ben because he's just like, I'm not working for Ben. Like he kept saying that over and over again. So yeah. maybe she kind of just pieced it together, not based on the Kimi thing, but based off of, well, why would Widmore blow up his own boat? Michael was there working for, for Ben. Maybe he helped sabotage the boat. Yeah, knew that Ben was involved uh, in this boat <laughs> in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe she, might just be, she might just be thinking more indirectly, too, because she knows that... W- she knows that the only reason the freighter was even heading towards the island was for Ben. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm maybe maybe she's just thinking well, if Ben wasn't on the island, you know, the freighter wouldn't even happen in the first place. That that was the whole that was the catalyst that started the whole situation in the in the first place. Yep. I mean, I think I think that's another way you just look at it. Less direct. I think Jack might be the more direct blame, and and Ben is the indirect blame. Yeah, and I think she. I'm I think okay this with blaming is discussed, Jack, by the way. <laughs> I think this was discussed in earlier episodes as well. Is like, cause she says she blames a couple people for the death of Jin, and then I think she was talking to Kate at one point at the hotel room and said like, "Oh, how's Jack?" By the way, you know, and that kind of uh, trying to get more info about Jack, or maybe like you know, cause she might blame. She probably kind of blames Jack too. You know, I mean, uh, they talk about it a little later how uh, you know Jack feels bad for leaving Jin behind. Right. On the island in the past, Jin is with the French team. We hear Jorge Garcia reading the numbers over the walkie as Danielle goes to Jin asking if he's okay. And Jake, this is something that you and I have <laughs> talked about in the past. We had to look it up on Lostpedia. We actually ended up yep. continuing the conversation off mic at, at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Because Did we really? <laughs> I think so. Because like I think we talked about it, and then we were like, "Oh, I'm not sure." And then like we we came back to it, just like you know, in one of our personal conversations, because um, it's a whole thing where you know, there's some people who think that it's Hurley reading it, and then the question is when, how it just you know, it doesn't necessarily seem like the time would fit. And I believe it's the, is it Greg Nations or the? Uh, yeah, because I looked this up <laughs> Oh, yeah, up your too. favorite person. I forgot. Yeah, I looked this up, too, after, because uh, I know we had, I, I remember we did discuss the voice, or the, you know, uh, Jorge's voice at one point. So I was like, okay, let's just see what Lost PD has to say about his voice being there. And uh, sure enough, <sighs> Greg Nations confirmed that yes it's Jorge's voice but it's only there as an easter egg not yeah. as like a a plot point or anything like that yeah because so I, I how think... much you can believe because it's Greg Nations but you know <laughs> he's still not sure what Lost is actually I, I don't know if he's watching an episode yet or not um because uh... still my open challenge to you Greg 
<laughs> you're listening. One-on-one lost trivia, me versus Greg Nations. I can already tell you, I'm winning by a lot. <laughs> you guys should put your money on me, not Greg Nations. Um, and my evidence is that lost encyclopedia that I occasionally give the middle finger to whenever I see it. I think I've talked about this whole Jorge reading the numbers thing, too. And it always just seems like it's just a different character voiced by Jorge Garcia. It doesn't seem like a big deal to me or something that should be debated or anything. But Yeah, it, I, like I said, it, you know, it's a nice... Uh, if you're really paying attention to it and you realize, oh, that's Jorge Garcia, you think that's cool or whatever, uh, you know, it took me a couple listens until I realized it, so not like I missed anything by not knowing it was Jorge Garcia. <clears throat> they well, just couldn't get anybody else. I mean, they, they he talked about it. He talked about it on his podcast, on the Geronimo Jack's Beard podcast, where he said um, the fact that like they just called him in for like a day to to quickly read that. Um, uh, for whatever reason, but I always thought it, cause I, I've, I've, you know, there's somebody that said, uh, that they think that, you know, everything that's, Oh, I think it's a Stabon, uh, who said that he doesn't think that anything that's happened on screen is necessarily a mistake. I believe he said that once in an early episode. Um, and you know, I, I've thought about it a few times and, and like I said, you know, it's been talked about, where, you know, was it him? Because I, I know there are people who think that he may have had something to do, that Hurley may have had something to do with programming um, good vibrations because he knew that Charlie, you know, being a musician, there are people who think Daniel may have done that because he's a musician, you know, so he got to, you know, use like a musical outlet uh, for that. Um, but I always thought it was interesting if, I, if we suppose it is Hurley for whatever reason that's reading the numbers. And I think I said it, um, I think I've said it a few times on this show. Then that means that Hurley is reading the numbers. Uh, Sam Toomey and Leonard, whatever his last name is, heard that. And then years later, Leonard then heard the same guy, Hurley in the mental institution so like he thought he was crazy because he was in I mean he was in a mental institution so like that probably drove him even crazier because he's like you're the same voice that heard that I I heard the numbers from like decades later you know yeah I think that's uh I I think was it was it actually the two of you guys that was yeah you guys you guys are the only ones that talk about like paradoxes or whatever all the time (laughs) so I that would be another crazy you know the cycle continues sort of thing yeah. So yeah, we hear Jorge reading the numbers. Uh, Danielle goes to Jin asking if he's okay. He freaks out uh, more and says that he needs to find his camp. Uh, Danielle and Robert try asking him questions about having been there before, but he responds by asking about a helicopter. Montand then makes a humorous comment in French, saying that first Jin mentions a boat, then a helicopter, next it'll be a submarine. Uh, and then in French, Montand and Robert discuss which way to go to find the source of the signal. Robert asks Jin if there's a radio tower. Jin confirms, but mentions needing to get back to his camp. And Robert convinces him uh, to lead them to the tower since he knows how to get to his camp from there. Which Jin does not know how to either get to the radio tower or the camp because he did not follow 
along with that group. Jin's never been to the radio tower. Oh, yeah. Wait, wasn't he there when... Didn't... Oh, no. I, I was thinking... I, I was thinking about when they do the dynamite. So, yeah. Because Jin was for the dynamite when Russo blows it up. Yep, but they still weren't at the radio tower for that, right? So he's never been there. Well, where was he when Locke stabbed Naomi? On the beach, because he was, uh, uh, he, they just fought off the others. Oh, that was, that's still that whole thing. Yeah, okay. Yep. Huh. So they, some gent. All right, because when Sawyer, no, I'm trying to think about what happens with Jin, like, early season five, early season four. So he, he is, starts out on Jack. the beach, and then they eventually, they meet up with Jack and everything at the fuselage, or on the uh, um, uh, front of the plane, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, they meet up with him there, out there. So uh, uh, after that, he ends up coming back to uh, the beach because he stays on Team Jack. Huh. Because he just doesn't have much to do with those early episodes. Well, how close is that to where the radio tower is? Uh, I don't know if that's mentioned how far apart those are. I mean, I guess somebody could have said, hey, you keep walking that way in that direction, you hit a radio tower, but I don't know why that would have happened. <laughs> no idea. He, he might have been in on, like, the whole plan. Because we so promises to take them to the radio tower... Yeah, because you know, he had like a map or something. That's possible. Just... Yeah, that... in theory, they were supposed to meet up after they took the others down, right? Uh, Bernard and and Jin and Saeed were so, supposed to meet up, so they would probably have to know yeah. how to get there I anyway. Guess, yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess that would have been the plan for them to meet at the radio tower, unless it was. I can't remember if that was the full plan, or I mean, or if the plan was maybe just chill till we get back, or I, I don't remember. But... Well, the, the the plan was they were gonna like stop for a little bit and wait for them to catch up. They weren't going to meet him at the radar tower. I think they were going to meet him like halfway. Like they were going to take a break. Yeah, because they, yeah, they took a break because they only heard two explosions. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Of course, some, something that I thought of when I was watching this scene is that something that just came to me. I was thinking, you know, poor Jin, he spends the first four seasons of this show, not understanding anybody speaking English, and now he winds up with a group of French French people talking another language, too, once he finally starts learning how to speak English. Very true. Yep. <laughs> As they're getting ready to go, Robert and Danielle share a kiss. Uh, Danielle then asks who Jin wants to find, and he responds by saying, my wife. A bit later, they're trekking, trying to find the signal, Danielle starts having pregnancy pains as she and Robert discuss things in French, including Danielle's guess that it's a baby girl, and they talk about Alexander versus Alexandra. Uh, As they stop to drink some water, they realize that a member of their team, Nadine, has vanished. Montand makes a sexist comment about bringing women and the fact that she's probably off chasing butterflies. We then hear noises in the distance, and Jin mentions that it's the monster. But, so, we've encountered the monster killing people before, 
that always follows the pattern of you hear like the uh, the noises. There's usually trees, you know, flying up everywhere. How did the monster grab Naomi so silently? Nadine, Nadine sorry, uh, so silently. Well, I think I don't think it has to. I don't think he has to make all those noises. He does that just to freak them out, right? So, like this, like and you don't think so? Like you hear like any, even like moving between bushes or something like that. Like, I mean, it's normally this the noise is there, but even uh, okay. So the spiders, spiders, spiders were the yeah, monster, yeah. and there's like a faint sound. But for the most part, those spiders just show up. Very true. We didn't even get a faint sound this time, I guess. But I I mean, I don't know all the rules about the monster and its noises. Right. But I just normally, we've always heard something. There's always been some clear indication the monster's nearby, close, whatever. Uh, nothing this time. It was able just to, to grab her and, and go. Among the team, they're talking about who saw Nadine last and finding her, but Jin is adamant that they need to go. Montand is sick of Jin and demands that they go another way, and Jin follows them. They're looking for Nadine and decide to split up. A tree then comes out of the ground from the monster with a loud noise. Nadine's body is then dropped, and Jin yells for them to run. Montand has a stare down with the monster, but is knocked down and dragged away. Danielle and Robert try to grab him as Montanda is about to be dragged down a hole, but Montanda is eventually dragged down and his arm is ripped off, thus giving us the line from the season one finale. Um, we then hear Montanda yelling for help a moment later, but Jin tries to stop Robert from going to help him, but Robert goes against his advice and the French men go, but Jin stops Danielle. The sky then begins to light up and a time flash happens. At some point in the future, Jin seen, sees Montan's arm. He goes to get some water and sees some smoke in the distance. He checks it out and sees a fire on the beach. Looking around, he discovers the music box and two dead bodies. After some shouting, he sees Danielle holding Robert at gunpoint. She's telling him that he's changed and he's not Robert, but he pleads with her and tells her that he loves her. She mentions Robert being sick and that it was caused by the monster, and he says how it isn't a monster, it's a security system guarding the temple. As he tricks her into putting her gun down, he goes to shoot her, but she's taken the firing pin out of his gun, not believing him. Jin yells, and Danielle finally realizes that he's there. She freaks out on him as well because he disappeared, and she mentions him as being sick as well. But another flash happens. Um, so this is where, and I've said it before, um, my thought of if the monster had pulled Locke down the hole in the season one finale, do we think, or, you know, is, do we think that the monster would have killed him or converted him? And everybody always tends to tell me they think it probably would have killed him. And I, I think that due to his belief, I think that he could have been converted and this is basically my my proof of that is that people can be converted to the monster's side he doesn't necessarily just kill everybody that comes in his path not only that i mean isn't Locke a candidate and he can't kill candidates 
the yeah, man in black can't kill. Yeah, but yeah. when do they stop being candidates? You know, because like, does, is it when they cross their name off? But then Jacob, you know, ghost campfire. Jacob still tells Kate, like, you could do it. You can do the job if you want. You know. Yeah, the rules are extremely unclear, as we have mentioned many, many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good call. And by I, converting, yes. you mean like infecting, like how uh, Saeed and Claire were basically infected. Yep, that's where I was going. I guess. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause I've never. I, I again, you want you know, you want to say the rules are unclear. I've never quite understood the infection thing either, because they've been infected and whatever, and they're basically under the monster's control. But then at the last second, Saeed is like, he goes against that infection or possession or whatever you want to call it like you know the the uh, jinn and son dying and that's when saeed goes as well because he basically does a heroic thing because well, even claire he goes against also his nature. seems to uh shake it off eventually too and i wonder if it's just a it can kind of release its hold on somebody maybe and maybe it realized that all okay, right i got this bomb down in the submarine i don't need saeed for anything anymore Really script. That's possible. But I think I think yeah, Locke was I, such a believer that it whether you know whether it's a, a an infection or possession or whatever, I don't think it would have taken much convincing to get because he thinks, at least based off of what we what we assume, he saw the smoke monster he he says it to him it was a like a bright light or whatever and that's what he saw when he said he looked into the eye of the island and it was beautiful and i don't think it would have taken much convincing for the smoke monster to basically you know tell him like i'm the thing of the island because i mean it happened with christian where he's just like oh i speak on jacob's behalf so, and Locke was like, all right, tell me everything. Yeah. Know, he, he was, no, you're, you're absolutely right in that Locke, I mean, would have almost listened to anything. You know, I mean, he was just kind of looking for answers and definitely open for uh, for it. So I I, I would stand behind the uh, uh, not killing, but uh, converting. Yeah. Yeah. It, did Locke, Locke didn't have any dynamite on him when he was being dragged into the hole, right? He already took his pack off. Correct. Because right. I was thinking, you know, he can't kill the candidates, but he could, you know, he he, he can uh, be indirectly responsible for their deaths somehow. So may, maybe that's what he was trying to do. And I think one of the last times I was on, I talked about, like, the whole infection process. Where I mentioned how I think that Claire died in that explosion and Smoke Monster kind of bought her back oh yeah that's just, right because i think that's how you get infected i think you die and then the smoke monster brings you back like saeed and like claire so when those three french dudes go into the tunnel i think they all die and then he brings them all back and they all come back out infected okay. yeah that's so, i mean i i can i don't see why not well then <laughs> yeah but my question is if that's the case then why does he because, uh, I mean, that could that could lend to the whole thing. You know, I've said before, you know, the others have the the kind of Viking funeral thing where they're just like, okay, we're going to, like, set the body on fire and then th- 
put it into the water because they they don't want anyone buried on the island. Presumably, at least I always thought, and I've mentioned it on the show before, I thought it was because they don't want the smoke monster to double as that person, to take possession of that body. But if if he could do that, why didn't he... Why did he only, like, take possession of Christian or Horace in Locke's dream or whatever, or even uh, the man in black himself? Why didn't he just come back to life as, or, you know, bring those people back to life, basically? It might have to be more, like, I'm sure that it's more, like, specific and, you know, rule-oriented because it has to be, like, an immediate brought back to life. And, like, if he brought back Pickett's wife, Colleen, who died on the operating table, that would be a little bit more suspicious suspicious uh, than Claire being brought back to life from the explosion. Because you, you didn't know that Claire actually had died at that point. For not bringing back Horace, my argument would be Horace died. Well, no, his body was eventually taken out of the sonar fence. But maybe he just didn't see a need at the time to do it. I don't think well he never he never actually appeared as Horace though right I mean no he didn't well it's just the dream but, but yeah. I mean the but okay so even take him, him out the of dream. the argument but my point still stands and and I think you're right Liam I think it might be a little bit more specific but it just comes down to one of those things where you know in the grand scheme of things like we like you know like Jake said about the rules with the candidates there's a lot of rules and they're not necessarily always made clear then you. You gotta also think, what would be the point too? What would be the point of him just bringing back a bunch of people, just bring them back, just to bring them back, have an army of zombies? You know, I think like bringing back Claire and bringing back Saeed has a very specific purpose and part to play once things started coming to, towards the end. Yep. Sure, he could have brought back random other number five who died, but what would really be the point of that? <laughs> so, so he brought these French guys back. To get Danielle? Either to maybe keep an he, eye on her, yeah, to try to convince her or something. I, uh, yeah. Maybe he wanted Maybe he wanted to see if he could talk her into killing Jacob, using them to... Maybe, I don't know. I also wanted to point out the fact that um, I think it's strange, and I think it's, uh, you know, I think it could be talked about in uh, an upcoming episode as well, the fact that the... Um, the te- there's the wall, you know, outside the temple and whatever, and that, you know, they talk about the fact that that is the smoke monster's domain, yet the temple is, like, the only place, one of the only places that the monster can't get into. It's It's a safe haven from the monster and everything else on the island, but yet the wall guarding the temple is the smoke monster's, like, abode, basically. <laughs> Yeah, it, it can get to that wall, and it can get underneath the wall, too. You know, because we see the smoke monster take the form of Alex uh, later on in this season when Ben, you know, thinks he's summoning the monster. But uh, so it can get around there. Yeah, it can, it can be at the wall. It can be kind of underneath. But I think there's eventually a, a stop point somehow, some way. Yeah. Also, I, I think you got to think which came first. Did they... Did they find the temp? Did they find his hideout and decide to build a temple on there, or did the smoke monster see this place he can't get into and decided to 
hide out as close as possible there in case there was ever like a breach or something. Right. I would definitely personally, I would think it would be the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes much more sense. But as I said, another flash happens. Uh, Jin falls down a hill before hearing another gun aiming at him. We hear Sawyer tell him to turn around slowly. They realize who each other is and get very happy. Jin mentions having been in the water, not on the boat. Uh, everyone else from Sawyer's group catches up, but Jin doesn't see Sun. A bit later, Miles and Daniel are talking about Jin, and Daniel says he must have been moving through time with them while he was in the water. Uh, Sawyer is trying to explain to Jin what's going on with the time flashes. Jin then speaks in Korean and tells Charlotte to translate, but Sawyer makes a racist comment by thinking Jin is talking to Miles. <laughs> He's Korean. I'm from Encino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Charlotte then asks Locke for Jin how he's sure Sun is off the island, and Locke responds that he's sure but they need to make it to the orchid. Charlotte and Jin have an exchange in Korean with Charlotte explaining a bit about Locke's plan to get off the island and stop the flashes. Jin questions bringing Sun back, and Locke mentions that she never should have left. Yay! All of the, like, non-Oceanic Six are back together. Finally. It is nice to get a good good gang of uh the characters we know and love together and this is something that i've talked about you know uh a few times on the show the whole thing i remember reading once where they said you know uh one of the things that they would do with the finales and the premieres would be split up all the characters in the finale have like three or four different groups of people and then halfway through the season kind of bring them all back and so this kind of solidifies that group now and it i mean it, it solidifies on off island too pretty much the oceanic six most of them at least kind of met back up i mean obviously it didn't end well and they all went their separate ways but at one point you had a good chunk of off island losty you know losties are there you know together in one spot actually that's this very next scene oh there we go um mm-hmm. back in the present sun is still pointing her gun at ben and uh, telling him how she spent three years thinking Jin was dead. She wants to see his proof. Ben tells her that there's someone in Los Angeles. He'll take her and show her the proof. It's the same person who's going to show them how to get back to the island. Kate questions Jack about that being the true intention behind all this, and she accuses him about pretending to care about Aaron, but Jack tells her that he wasn't pretending. She then calls them, and the plan, crazy before storming off. Saeed also starts to leave with, before Ben tries stopping him, but Saeed mentions that he doesn't want anything to do with this, and if he sees them again, it'll be unpleasant, and he leaves. Ben then tells Sun that in 30 minutes, she'll have her proof, or shoot him now and never know. Uh, and she says that she wants the proof. Um, before I get into the actual, like, potential... Um, um, plot holes in this I, I, and they make the joke later getting anywhere in 30 minutes in LA no matter what time of day it is ha 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 yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yes very true that was one of the main things that I was thinking of and like I said they make a joke about it a little later but yeah so there's at least 
two things that I could think of that in the episode He's Our You, where this scene plays out slightly different. And one of them is is very subtle, where Ben says, uh, in one of the episodes, I don't remember which, um, I don't remember which quote is which, but in one of them he says, there's someone here in Los Angeles, whereas in the other one he says, there's somebody here in Los Angeles. And then uh, later on when he's talking with Saeed, Saeed says uh, that he doesn't want anything to do with this. Uh, and if he and he says, in this episode he sees, and if I see you or him again, referring to Jack and Ben uh, respectively, he says, if I see you or him again, uh, I'm, you know, it'll be very unpleasant for all of us versus in the episode He's Our You, he says to Ben, and if I see you again, it'll be very unpleasant for us both. And then Kate also has a slightly different line as well. Uh, in The Place's Death, she says, this is insane, you guys are crazy. And then in He's Our You, she says, this is insane, slight pause, you're all crazy. Okay, I forgot about that one. Yep. And I remember them saying that there was, like somebody pointed that out, and they said there was a very specific reason for that, and they were going to explore that. And I remember thinking going into season six, when hearing all of these things, you know, um, oh, season six, there's going to be uh, a new, there's, there's going to be like a new timeline, a second timeline or whatever. And, and nobody quite knew what that meant until it got closer and closer. But the rumor was there's going to be a new, you know, another timeline, another timeline, another timeline. And I thought at the time that the, the, between these two episodes, that was the timelines kind of bleeding into each other to kind of show that certain things would pretty much always line up that, you know, kind of, you know, kind of a fate versus free will sort of thing. Certain things were always meant to happen, even if the situation ended up being slightly different. Obviously, that's not what ended up happening. They never necessarily expanded upon it any further, as far as I know. And it bugs me to this day. Yeah, my theory on it was always just maybe this is what Saeed is remembering, you know, in a way. Like, just kind of the way it played out in Saeed's head. Uh, I don't know. I uh, I could definitely see how it can bother some people. Me, I'm just like, yeah, it gets the point across. <laughs> it's probably, uh, it probably just, like, filming, like, filming issues. Because, I mean, you gotta assume they took a break at some point. Like, didn't didn't the mid isn't the mid season finale three sixteen? I think. No, I don't think they did because this was one of the shortened seasons. I don't think they did a really a mid season break. No, they started in January, yes, and they just kept going. I think till till May. Let me uh, quickly see if I can. But uh, even, look at the even if it was a mid season break, while you look that up, Jake, even if it was a mid season break, I would think. You know, maybe maybe I could just chalk the, this up to a Greg Nation's gaffe 
because I would <laughs> think too. I would think that someone should have been more on the ball. I mean, I would I would like to think that Damon Carlton or someone in the writers' room, Greg Nations or not, should have been a little more on the ball with remembering the fact that there were these certain things, or you know, and even if it was just a filming error, which I'm fine if it's a filming error. But the fact that that they then went on to say at some point, oh, yes, we you know, we will be addressing that. Just say it was a mix up. They've done it before. They've admitted there were certain things where they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we sorry, guys, we messed that one up. We, you know, it, we, we can't be on top of everything all the time. There's the whole when was Charlotte born thing because of I think there's like one time where we see like a piece of paperwork that has one date on it where she says another date or something like that and they just say like you know oh yeah that was a a production error I'm perfectly okay with that and I mean obviously I have to be okay with this because we we don't have a resolution to this but I'm perfectly okay if there was just a production error it's the fact that they originally said oh yeah you know we'll be we will be addressing that and they never did it's one of the reasons that people still get upset, I think, about the outrigger thing because they know there's an oh, answer yes. out there and they just haven't said it yet. So whether they they whether there is an answer out there for this or not, they at least hinted at it at one point. And that's the part yeah. I think that drives me up the wall. So yeah, no mid-season break, but what I'm really surprised they didn't do was recycle the footage from this episode and then start shooting new footage kind of picking up you know obviously where it left off with Saeed walking away I mean for a consistency standpoint it would have made sense I guess what must have happened is they they didn't realize or forgot that they needed Saeed's angle of the whole event that like the, the easiest thing to do would just be like okay we have different episodes that show different angles of this whole thing so let's just let's just film a bunch today while while we have the whole thing so they were like oh crap we forgot to film Saeed's side of things so so let's go back here try and recreate this as best as possible let's but even but how much did you really okay because i i haven't uh, seen that episode in a while how much do you really need from a different angle though you just needed Saeed being there the conversation yeah. happening and i think what we see Saeed walk away from it if even, I remember correctly, even if they even and I, and, and I totally get Liam's point of let's let's record, a, you know, a bunch of things from a bunch of different angles. And I'd even make the argument where maybe at the time that they were filming this, they didn't have the like the production crew in Hawaii didn't necessarily have the script for he's our you. I could even go with that. It's the fact that why wouldn't they just lift the script pages yeah, you're right. You don't even like have they to know use it, the same They know it's scene. already written. Yeah, like, just <laughs> lift the yeah, just lift the dialogue from one thing to another. Right. It could have been handled a lot better. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you put Greg Nations in charge of anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's my big, big rant on that uh, scene. <laughs> Back on the island with the remaining heroes, uh, Locke is leading them to the orchid, and he says that it's not very far. Jin and Locke talk about how he'll leave, and Jin wants to join him, but Locke tells him that it has to be just him. Locke promises he'll bring Sun back. 
Daniel and Charlotte talk as she continues to have issues with her head, and he jokingly asks her what other languages she knows, and she mentions Klingon, and I fall in love with Charlotte all over again. Yes, I wrote down on here, Klingon reference equals Paul Nerdboner. (laughs) I wouldn't have worded it like that, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad you said something about it, too. (laughs) I wouldn't have worded it like that, but okay. <laughs> As I look uh, where I sit uh, when I record most of these here in the clock shelf studio, I have several Star Trek things surrounding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, she then asks him, uh, Charlotte asks Daniel if Locke leaving will work, and Daniel says how it makes sense since it all started at the Orchid, but he, he mentions something, and he basically says that they have to leave science behind uh, for part of whatever is going to happen. And then another flash happens. And then another flash happens. And Charlotte eventually collapses in pain. Sawyer notices Juliet has a nosebleed, and she points out his as well. Daniel is trying to revive Charlotte, who eventually regains consciousness and tells Jin in Korean, then in English, to not let Locke bring Sun back because this place is death. And I get that kind of Peter Griffin moment from Family Guy where it's just like, oh, they said it. They said the title. (laughs) They said it. Yep. (laughs) I did like the fact that, I mean, it took them several episodes, but it makes sense that it would happen like right before to kind of build the tension of, okay, we really need to get these flashes to stop. The fact that it was like flash after flash after flash after flash. Like they just like coming in, you know, like rapid fire, basically. Back in the present, Sun, Ben, and Jack are in Ben's van, and Sun and Ben comment on traffic in L.A., which we joked about before. Uh, And Jack apologizes to her for leaving Jin behind. And she questions if Jack is only saying this uh, so uh, then uh, to ask her not to kill Ben. But Jack comments that after what Ben just did to Kate, he'll kill Ben himself if he's lying. Ben stops the van and gives them an impassioned speech about how he's doing so much to keep them alive and safe and that they should be thanking him. But he does give them the opportunity to shoot him now, and Sun just tells him to drive. I think it's a very called-for blow-up there by Ben. I was like, yeah, you know what? He he deserves to, you know, deserve that little, you know, again, speech, whatever, you know, when he uh, yells at them, berates them a little bit about it. It's just, and I, I'm in agreement, like, he he does. But it's very strange because, in a weird way... He's keeping them alive, but and he thinks he's keeping them alive from Widmore's people, but Widmore also feels that he's keeping them alive because they both think they have a vested interest in the island because they're really going after each other when really they're they're part of the greater game of Man in Black versus Jacob and you know, it just depends on which side ends up winning and they don't even but they don't even necessarily know that they're even involved in that yeah that's true you know (laughs) so it's like ben says i'm doing everything to keep you alive 
technically Widmore is too. He's just coming at it from a different angle and they just don't even realize that they both actually have the same goal. Yeah, so they're like the Losties are never really in harm. <laughs> yeah. Cuz I mean cuz the man in black can't do cuz the man in black is really their main enemy and he can't do anything cuz he can't leave the island. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Back on the island, Charlotte is having, I don't know how, how to word it. Like, I know they, they said, like, you know, for, um, for, what was it, Teresa, uh, she's, you know, she's not there right now. I just wrote a time flash in her head uh, where she's a child asking why her dad can't come with them. And upon hearing Daniel's voice, uh, she speaks in a more adult tone that her mother wouldn't be happy if she married an American. Uh, and Sawyer is confused, but so are the rest of them. And Locke reminds them that they have to keep moving. I think uh, to quote Slaughterhouse-Five, which was big for the show, I guess it would be correct to say that she's unstuck in time. Which is kind of like a theme you see in literature sometimes. Oh, they do use that phrase, I think, in Lost too, right? I think so, yeah. 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 That was a big, in- like he said, that was a big influence on the show. Right. Yeah. yeah, I read that, read that book in high school. Because it was on Lost. Hmm. That's a term they use a lot, is unstuck in time. Just, yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of cool. I like that. So yeah, Daniel wants to carry her, but Locke says that she'll just slow them down. And Sawyer reminds uh, Daniel that the flashes are happening closer together and that you know most of their noses are bleeding now, except Daniel's. But for now, they need to leave her and they will come back. Daniel refuses to leave without her, despite her giving the uh, permission for him to go. We then have another flash. Locke wants to go now, and Charlotte and Daniel argue over him leaving her before she mentions loving Geronimo Jackson. And Daniel then declares that he's staying with her. Uh, Sawyer asks, what if the orchid doesn't exist when they are? And Charlotte tells Locke to look for the well. And everyone except Daniel and Charlotte set off. She should know absolutely nothing about this well. So I don't get how she knew that. Island mysticism. There you go. Okay, we can continue on then. (laughs) Greg Nations couldn't tell us that. Well, neither can you, so. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, sometime later, they're still going through the jungle when Miles has a nosebleed. They then get there, and Juliet mentions the orchid being there at the same time. Another flash happens, and Sawyer comments on the fact that she just jinxed them. (laughs) Uh, Locke then notices the well, and Miles asks how Charlotte knew. Island mysticism. Duh, Miles. (laughs) Back with Daniel and Charlotte, she confesses to him that she's been on the island before. She grew up in the Dharma Initiative, but moved away and never saw her dad again. She's spent her whole life looking for this place because her mother tried convincing her it was all a dream. She then uh, confesses that she just remembered seeing a man who she admits is Daniel, or she thinks is Daniel, when she was a little girl. He scared her and told her to leave the island and never come back. Back at the well, Locke declares his intention to go down. 
Uh, he says goodbye to all of them. Jin then stops him and makes him promise that he won't bring Sun back. He gives John his wedding ring to prove to her that he died. Jin believes that the island is bad. John promises that he won't go to Sun. Locke then starts to go down the well. While he's halfway down there, another flash happens, and the white light almost emanates from the well itself. And I got a, a vibe of uh, him going down the hatch at the beginning of season two. Oh, uh, yeah. Quick pause here. Uh, do you guys think that Locke would have brought Sun back? Like, that he was just kind of lying? Like, Locke knows the mission is to bring them all back. And even and I think Locke's very loyal to that mission and faithful to that mission. And I know that he doesn't actually go see Sun you know, in that episode with, uh, when we see what Locke's off, uh, up to when he's off island. But do you think that at some point maybe he would have tried to? Or maybe if Sun would have reached out to him, do you think he would have kept up the lie that Jin was dead? Or said, like, oh, well, hey, you're here now. You know, let's all go back to the island. Like, do you think Locke at some point would have tried to get Sun back to the island? I don't think he would have. Because I remember when right before ben kills him he's he says something like you haven't even talked to sun yet and yeah and he says like well i promised jen i wouldn't but i don't know if if Locke really thought that the mission was to get them all back and sun being part of all i don't i wonder i i i don't know i i can't really i don't know one way or the other if he would have or not i i just think if he had if he was planning on killing himself and he really intended on bringing Sun back, I think Sun would have been his last ditch effort before he tried to. Before Very he tried on killing himself. Good point. Very good point. Yeah, I feel like he. I feel like he would have kept his promise of I won't go to her. Um, but I feel like, like you said, if she had come to him, I. F- feel like he wouldn't necessarily have kept up the lie he would have just been like listen i promised Jin that i wouldn't go to you but since you're here now let me tell you here's the deal but then again i mean yes like you know he he was planning on killing himself like liam just said so you know but i feel like if he had gotten more of them to agree and there would have been a scene like here at the end where he got them all to go to see Eloise Hawking, and she would have made the comment like, "Oh, it needed. It needs to be all of them, you know." And like he, he's once again told it needs to be all of them, and he hears yet another um, island authority figure, if you will, tell him it needs to be all of them. I feel like that may have changed his mind, but at the point he was at when he tells Ben oh, I promised I wouldn't when he was about to, to kill himself. I think I think he, at that point, I think he definitely had every intention of keeping that promise. I feel like had things gone a different way for him that he wouldn't have ended up in that situation, he may have eventually gone to see her. Right. Also, also uh, if, push come to, if push came to shove, I think Locke could have uh, found a loophole and like had... If he had recruited Jack, he could have had Jack go to see Sun and Jack tell Sun that Sun that Jin was still alive, so he could do it indirectly if he really thought he needed to bring Sun back, without breaking his promise to Jin. Yeah, 
So yeah, lock halfway down, another flash happens, the white light basically comes from inside the well. As the flash happens, Locke loses his grip on the rope and falls, screaming in pain. And back with Sawyer and company, uh, Sawyer is holding onto the rope, but the well is gone now. It's just, the rope is just sticking out of the ground. He tries to dig towards Locke, but Juliet has to stop him, and she mentions that they can't help him now. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I always thought it, I always thought it was kind of cool. I assumed that the only reason they found that well was because there was a hole because there was a there was a rope sticking up out of the ground so like their travel through time caused the well to even exist in the first place hmm. it's like someone wandered in the jungle found a hole found a found a piece of rope sticking in the ground like oh better dig this up see where this goes right back with daniel and charlotte uh she's coughing while daniel begs her to stay with him he mentions sending Desmond to find his mother to help them. She coughs up blood before in her child voice again, mentioning that she's not allowed to have chocolate before dinner, which is probably one of the most quoted Charlotte lines ever. Um, and she dies, and he, of course, begins sobbing. And, you know, rightfully so. And I feel like this is another one of those things where... And maybe, I mean, I know, I understand not a lot of people like that character um but i feel like this is maybe one of those things i've talked about it happens on tv shows it's happened on lost as well where you know you finally get to like the character a little bit like she helped them with the with the well thing you know she she gives Jin the advice to not uh bring son or you know to not let Locke bring son back she's the one that in this whole thing you're supposed to feel for because she's obviously in tremendous pain and whatever and so you know we there's finally some some sympathy or empathy for that character and now she's gone back underground Locke notices his leg bone is piercing through his trousers and he's yelling for any sort of help and hears footsteps and it's Christian greeting him he mentions being there to guide Locke the rest of the way. He tells Locke that when Locke came to him, he said that he, John, had to move the island, not Ben. And John argues that Ben convinced him, and Christian makes a good point, asking when ben, when listening to Ben got him, quote, anywhere worth a damn, unquote. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. yeah. Um... But now Locke can basically set things right. He tells Locke that a woman in L.A. will tell him how to get back only once he's gotten everyone who left, and it has to be all of them. And this is, again, one of those things where he's, you know, he hears it said multiple times, and I feel like had he gotten to the point where he maybe convinced a few, heard Eloise say it, then he may have gone, like, okay, I guess I need to go talk to Son or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets the word that it's Eloise Hawking. Locke asks about not getting all of them, but Christian says that he believes in him. Locke mentions Richard telling him that he has to die, and Christian calls it a sacrifice. And that's really strange because that, to, to Christian, the man in black, that hasn't happened yet. 
So basically, that's his future self sending his past self a message saying, hey, you need to eventually have Richard say this to him. Right? Yeah. Christian then tells him uh, about the wheel just ahead, but mentions that he can't help lock up. And I remember that being like a big thing because they were like, oh, why can't, you know, oh, can he not touch him because he's like not corporeal? Did you guys ever see that? Oh, yeah. I don't, I still don't understand why, because like he was, right? Like he was, like he, he was corporeal, so I don't understand why he couldn't help him. Because he's just like, and he doesn't like, oh, no, you got to do this yourself. He's just like, yeah, no, I can't help you. Like, just like, I think the uh, Lost Peter transcript says in, in like brackets, he bluntly says, no, I can't. Yeah, that's how, that's the vibe I got. <laughs> yeah, bluntly said it. But I just, I don't understand why. <laughs> Locke then manages to get to his feet, hop through the chamber, over to the wheel, and begin to turn it. Uh, we see that it's rocking off balance, and as the light erupts once more, Christian tells Locke to say hi to his son. Off island in the present, Ben pulls the van into a church parking lot. Now, I do want to go back to that, though. Christian says, say hi to my son. Now, um, somebody mentioned, I believe it was uh, Crystal, who's been on this show uh, before, uh, mentioned in a, a thread on Wayne's Facebook, I believe, that she thinks there were certain times where christian himself was actually bleeding through and it wasn't always the man in black could this have potentially been one of those moments because there's no reason for the man in black to mention christian's son at all uh well maybe the man in black knew that Locke would eventually uh, deduce that it was jack and that's almost like the uh, it, it's like a i don't want to say a turning point but push jack over the edge because eventually you know Locke uh meets you know reunites with jack in that hospital and he says like oh you know your dad says hi and that that visibly gets to jack and he's like you know what are you talking about he's like well you know i, I met him whatever it wasn't hugo's dad it wasn't saeed's dad it was your dad you know and uh i think that gets to jack a little as well and i i don't know if if the man in black knew that saying that would push jack and that, you know, Jack's the one you really want to push, too. You, you get Jack, you have a good chance of, of getting everybody else. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. he has Christian's memories. Christian's body wasn't found when Jack opens up the casket towards the beginning of season one. So. And I don't really, I can't really think of any other instances where there's a little bit of the other person bleeding through the smoke monster's personality. I, she may, I don't remember her. I didn't necessarily agree with her argument, but I remember she she made some sort of comment about it. I think it was about the um, the bomb. Um, yeah. The uh, the freighter bomb when uh, Christian appears to Michael and says like you can go now or something. I believe uh, there was a conversation where uh, Wayne kind of gave his theory on how that happened and she made a counterpoint to that. And I, I would agree with you. I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily think of any other instances where that happened, but I was just wondering, you know, if this could potentially lend to that theory, but 
I think I think I, I agree with what you said, Jake. Like it was just a matter of you know, it was just another manipulation because Jack always has had a soft spot for his father because even when uh when Sawyer mentions Christian in the season one finale, it makes Jack emotional in a heartbeat, you know? Yeah. I've always kind of thought that throughout the show, there were basically two different versions of Christian Shepard. There was the smoke monster pretending to be Christian Shepard, and then there was like uh, the whisper version of Christian Shepard, like how Michael and Charlie appeared to Hurley. Christian Shepard could have could appear too. So I think in the boat that was actually Christian Shepard, and then it was actually Christian Shepard who briefly appeared to Jack in in Los Angeles because obviously the smoke monster can't show up in L.A. That breaks all the rules. Okay, Ooh. see, I like that because that's I mean yeah. that's different than than Wayne's theory. It's different than anything I've I've heard before. I just don't necessarily understand how he would be part of the whispers because the whispers are people at least from my understanding if i remember correctly the whispers are people that died kind of within that vicinity of the island and had some unfinished business whereas christian was dead long before getting to the island couldn't just be unfinished business in general like there could just be other ghosts and you know south florida who have no connection to the island at all, and they can't move on, and they're, and they're whisperers too. I think that's up. I think that's possible. So it's it might just be a, because because his body ended up on the island. He's just kind of got engulfed in their version of of the whispers. But there could be, like like you know, there's that theory across you know all nations i guess that that there are you know the ghosts they and i mean like actually before we started this recording we were talking about the show supernatural and that's something that that happens in that show where you know like the they stay attached to like a physical object a lot of times so what you're i think what you're saying and correct me if i'm wrong is that basically throughout the world there are these ghosts or spirits or something but because christian made it to the island he got engulfed in their particular group of ghosts whispers things yeah i'm just saying it it might not be the whispers might not be island specific and and you know there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it because we see charlie you know charlie's off island he sees michael on the island i guess it's just any connection to the island at all at least, I mean, Christian does have some former connection to the island, even if it's post-mortem, but still some. That's three His... different versions now I've heard of what Charlie potentially is when he's talking with Hurley. <laughs> and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with any of them, but I love that there have been three different people on this show who've given their version of what Charlie is. <laughs> when he talks to Hurley in the mental institution and sees him in the whatever it is, uh, 7-Eleven or whatever, you know? Yeah. uh, I think that's, like, that's, like, one of the biggest things is the whole uh, Christian appearing in places where the smoke monster really, really can't. I think that, that causes some confusion. 
Yeah. Okay, so off-island, in the present, Ben pulls the van into the church parking lot. As they get out, Ben shows son Jin's wedding band and gives it to her, which he had on him the whole time. So he's just like, oh, I need to get you there to show you the proof. And he had it on him the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He says that John gave it to him, and Jack asks about John not going to see Ben, but Ben says that he went to see John himself. Uh, And Ben doesn't have an answer as to why John didn't tell Son about the ring, which is a lie. Um, She then, he says that she needs to decide if she's in, which she is. And Desmond's voice is heard asking why they are there. And Ben mentions that they're probably there for the same reason. And Desmond says something about Faraday's mother. And as they all go in, Ben greets Eloise. And she notices all of them are not there. And Ben says that this is all he could get on short notice. And she says that it'll do and that it's time to get started. That confusion. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Liam. Oh, I I was just going to say something I was just thinking about, too, is maybe Sun didn't really need to come back at all because... You know, she's not one of the people who gets sent back in time. So I think it's it's possible that she could have stayed back on the island because, you know, Aaron didn't come back. Desmond didn't come back on the plane. So I think I think Sun could have maybe stayed home and everything would have still been fine. I think it was just the fact that she was a candidate or potentially a candidate because we don't know which Quan was was the one. Yeah. Right. Uh, I thought Ben's look of confusion when Desmond says that he's there uh, to see Faraday's mother, because the the scene is something like, you know, we talk all the time about Ben always having a plan and always being like six steps ahead. So Desmond shows up. He's like, what are y'all doing here? And and definitely doesn't say y'all. But but, uh, and Ben goes, well, same reason you're here. And it's like confident Ben, because he thinks like, yeah, we must all be here for the same reason, and that's how it plays out in my head. And then, like, Desmond's like, nope, hit him with the 180. I'm actually here for something else. And Ben's like, what? And uh, (laughs) he definitely has this, like, confused, like, "Uh uh-oh, like, face. Like, uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And uh, I love it. I mean, as much as I love the character of Ben and and how he is very uh, strategic and everything like that, sometimes when he gets thrown a loop, his reactions or how, how he ends up reacting. Wonderful. That's when I, I mean, I agree. Like, and I've always said Ben is one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character, but that is one of the things that makes Michael Emerson a fantastic actor. And I've always Mm -hmm. thought, and you know, uh, Joey says it on an episode of friends. The key to acting is reacting you know, and that's one of the things that I love is what, like during, you know, especially when rewatching things many times is when somebody's giving like a big speech, unless it's like a close up shot of them, I start to look at the other actors or characters, I guess, in the scene. And you can tell which ones are giving genuine reactions to everything that's being said versus the ones who are just sitting there waiting to say their next line. And I think that, that look of confusion on what he didn't, he didn't even need to have that look of confusion, but he has that look of confusion for just like a brief moment. 
And I think that's one of those things where it just shows how good of an actor Michael Emerson is. Not because he, he stole the scene or anything like that, but he was just, you know, he was he was being Ben reacting legitimately to what Desmond said because he was yep. thrown off, you know, whereas he could have just, like, turned and went, okay, you know, he said that, the next beat is turn and walk into the thing, you know? Do you think yeah. Ben uh, didn't know that Faraday was Eloise's son? Do you think they could have been, like, a little surprised at that, too? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's part of that reaction is the surprise of... Uh, of that's why Desmond's here, and uh, I, I I think so. Yeah. No, I think he would have known because unless she hid that from the massive database that they have, Ben does research on everybody. He knew Charlotte. Uh, he knew everything about Charlotte. I would assume he knows everything about Daniel and whatever. So I feel. Like and it's not he, like Eloise tried to hide living with Daniel or anything like that. And if um, if you remember, Jake, the episode that we did with Caleb, um, at one point, you know, we, we questioned the whole, um, you know, with the, the past line with Juliet and Harper, like, oh, you look just like her. And I don't, I think it may have been a combination of the three of us came up with the possibility of, like, what if young Ben had a crush on... Eloise, perhaps Juliet, you know, from the 70s, but what if he had a crush on young Eloise? Like, he, he would have known that she had a son and whatever as well. Yep, that's a possibility as well. well that line, that line of, uh, you, just, you look just like her, what did you think that was? Well, at the time... I did that episode with Esteban. I I think we we just kind of were just like, oh, that you know that could be anything. But when talking with Jake and Caleb, we kind of came up with like a few other different versions. I don't remember all of them that we said, but we said uh, one of them may have been um, the fact that you know uh, you know obviously a lot of people think that it would be a grown up version of Annie or perhaps his own mother, not in a like he has a crush on his mother sort of way, but he feels some sort of connection to her because she looks like his mother. Um, it could have, but then we also kind of came up with the fact of like, you know, um, uh, Eloise young, you know, like young ish, you know, whatever age range you want to say Eloise was when she was like leader of the others, when she, when she ends up, uh, killing Daniel um, maybe, you know, young Ben had a crush on her, which I said could have potentially also led to some Ben versus Charles Widmore stuff because of, you know, their competing feelings for her. Um, but we also said that it may have just been Juliet herself from the 70s. He kind of had this idea of her in his head, mentioned it at some point to somebody, and then... You know, it was just like, oh, well, you know, you're you are what he described as this woman that he had a crush on in his childhood or whatever. Whereas (laughs) it's the exact same woman. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that we talked. Well, that was brought up with the whole paradox thing or something like he was looking for Juliet or something and, you know, purposely brought her. Yeah. I've always just assumed that it's that she's talking and saying that Juliet. 
Julia looks like his mother, because if she's a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever she is, she would know that sometimes, yeah, men tend to go for for women who are more like their mothers, like yeah. like like females tend to go for men who are more like their fathers. That's just some something like ingrained subconsciously that that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, like I said, and I think we talked about it in the thing. Like that's what a lot of people think, but we were just kind of just riffing on different possibilities yeah. and. You know, it's it's very much like any combination of any of us who have been on any of, you know, on these shows where once you get us started on something, we just start going off on some what could be perceived as crazy theories. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, that's all I have for this episode. She says, uh, Eloise says, you know, that what they have will have to do and that it's time to get started. Ready for some Lostpedia trivia? Of course, always. <laughs> Well, uh, the the big thing uh, from this one, and actually, we've it's been sprinkled out through the the entire uh, podcast series here, is that uh, this episode has a few times where characters who don't usually interact or haven't interacted have are interacting. So, like, this is the first episode of the entire series uh, that Ben and Desmond end up speaking to each other. You know, they were in one scene together. They were at the cockpit, uh, cockpit, cockpit, ready, ah, cockpit. at the wreckage. There you go. Yes. They're at the wreckage in the beginning of the end, but um, they didn't talk there. Um, this is the first time Ben and Son talked to each other. Again, they were at the same wreckage in the beginning of the end, but they didn't speak. Um, and this is the second time Locke and Jin have spoken to each other. You know, they had the one quick line when he cuts off the handcuff, you know, says you're a free man. But uh, other than that, they never really fully interacted, at least on screen. So, Wait, really? Yeah. Black and gin. Black oh, and gin, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily it's think crazy. about it because, like, you think there was all that stuff with the raft and whatever, but really, if they ever were near each other, they would just, like, look at each other in passing because they both really talked to Michael. Not that they were avoiding talking to each other, but Michael was the linchpin of that whole thing. So Locke would talk to Michael or Walt, and Jin would basically only talk to Michael because that was the only person who even tried to communicate with him really by that point. And it's just one of those weird things where until somebody points it out, you don't necessarily realize it. Like Ben and, and Desmond, I can understand Ben and Son is a little more surprising, but I, it makes sense once you actually think about it. But the Locke and Jin thing is very, very surprising. But again, once you think about it, it it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. They, they really haven't, except, like you said, that one line about the handcuff. Now, that's really interesting because that's one of those things where you may not also realize the fact that, despite the fact that we've all been friends for a while and whatever... This is actually the first episode that you two have ever been on together. Really? What? <laughs> what? Yeah, because it was originally supposed to, because I, way back, not everybody knows this, but like sometimes it's it's difficult to coordinate schedules between everybody and, and what ends up, you know, much like with the writers of Lost, you know, the, the, the picture that you had originally does have to get changed and everything slightly. And one of the original things that I wanted for the episode, fire plus water, fire and water, however you want to say it, was 
the two of you because Jake, you hate that episode and Liam <laughs> likes that episode. But Jake was pretty much adamant that even though he hated it, he did not want to come on and bash that episode. And it took all the way until now almost midway through season five for the two of you to finally get on an actual episode together. Yeah. That whole, mm-hmm. that, that fire and water wasn't just a poor planning. That was just, I didn't, I was not in. Nope. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I still ended up on that episode too. I know I wanted a, I wanted an excuse to talk about Mr. Echo for a little bit. So I, I chose that episode. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. And we talked, like I said, we talked about the Jorge thing and the the potential continuity goof. Um, Liam, you got anything else? Uh, no. Did you? Not did, that I can think of. Did you like this Sun and Jin episode in comparison to some of the others that you've been on? Yeah, it wasn't really. I, I hardly consider this a Sun and Jin episode. It's really just like. Okay, we revealed Jin survived last episode. We need to we need to catch up on where Jin's been for the last couple days, and that's that's really all this that's really all this was. There wasn't much of a Sun and Jin episode. Well, that's like uh, the episode prior to this, which was the Little Prince. Like it's it's basically billed as a Kate episode, but there's not really much centric in it either because I feel like by season 5 and I think they mentioned it at one point where like they were kind of getting away from centric character episodes because it was just there were so many moving parts and so many different things and you know this era in time versus this era in time and you know there's two or three separate groups of people in the present and you know, a separate, or, you know, one group in in the past and whatever. So I feel like by season five, they kind of got away from centric. It definitely blends. They still consider them kind of centric because add up the screen time, who got the most of it? Jin and Son, you know? So same thing like last episode, it was a lot of Kate-related scenes. So I, I they still kind of consider them um, those centric, but just not in the traditional sense that we've known for four seasons you know now going on five yeah exactly. and then you kind of get uh kind of get the same thing with upcoming episode uh follow the leader which is basically a richard's centric episode even though you don't yep. get any new information about him it just which I, I think how they handled that was but was pretty cool how it's you know tying him to the past and the present and everything going on but agreed yep. yeah but yeah if we don't have anything else why don't you guys uh Hit them with your social media and all of that. All right. You can find me on uh, Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle is JakeLCE. Facebook, Jacob Woken. I'm following Paul. I follow Clock Shelves. Friends with Liam as well, so you can find me through them. And you can find me on Twitter. It's going to be at Hazard Time. Oh, he's coming and back. you can find me on Yep, and you can uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash hazard time. And of course, at Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's C-L-O-C- Coming soon to MySpace. <laughs> That's C L O C K S H E L V E S. I actually think there is a Clock Shelves MySpace out there. <laughs> it is. There's it a, was mine a, too, by the way. But I'm pretty I'll sure there is one. Request. There's a hazard. Hazard Time Vimeo. Oh, 
I think there's I think there's a clock shelves one. I think it's the clock shelves Vimeo and Daily Motion as well. Wow. You remember remember that day where like YouTube was down all day? Like YouTube had crashed and was like completely out all day. Yeah. And so I had to like I figured I would still do my daily updates. I would be like, well, I'm still gonna be doing this even if uh, even if YouTube isn't around. So I made a Vimeo account and uploaded it on Vimeo. There it's like go. the show goes on. And you got to yep. you got to get in there on getting, you know, your handle cuz you don't want someone uh uh what do they call it like cyber squatting or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, check out all those other things and see if <laughs> see if you could find Hazard Time and and Clock Shelves on some of those other uh social media things. And if we're not on your favorite social media or video sharing platform or anything else like that let us know so that we can get on there and you can communicate with us through there as well but until next time guys i'm gonna end with the traditional thank you namaste and good luck